The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles with me, and despite what it says on your study sheets, we're not going to read from Ezekiel chapter 22. That was my message. That was my scripture for Wednesday evening. So, Brother Bob, you're going to have to redo your, your label for the CD because you got the wrong scripture there. But we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses. It's a little lengthy reading, so you can remain seated as I read. Stand therefore, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, the, the circumcision being discussed here is not the context of my message, but it's a representation of the law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are, are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you, that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that they were even cut off with trou- which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time you've given us tonight to come together to to fellowship among ourselves and to love one another as brethren as you called us to do. And also, Lord, to to worship you, to praise your name in song, to give and tithe and support your work. And Father, just to, to, to have our hearts touched by you and by your word. Thank you now. We ask that you would bless the preaching of your word tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday evening, I spoke about standing in the gap. About the need for God's people to stand against the principles of this world. Against the spirit of the Antichrist. And now tonight and for the next three Sunday evenings, I want to continue along this theme and speak to our liberty in Christ, the liberty that we enjoy as God's children. I will begin this evening by considering the price of our liberty, the cost of our liberty. If there is one dominant flaw in the lives of many believers tonight, it is the lack of understanding and appreciation for the cost of our salvation, of our liberty. In fact, by my observations over the past 32 years, This lack of appreciation has led to many taking for granted the wonderful gift of liberty we have been afforded. And this is evidenced by a lack of commitment 
to God's work, a lack of concern for God's commandments, a lack of worship of God, and a lack of testimony for God. Man, by nature, will not appreciate something unless it has significant meaning to him. So in order to help us appreciate the cost Christ paid for our liberty, allow me to share the mitigating factors that contributed to the cost of our liberty. So first tonight, if we are going to appreciate the price that was paid for our liberty, first tonight we're going to have to understand the depth of our depravity. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, the scripture tells us, and that the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. Have you ever, and you don't have to raise your hand, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but have you ever had a thought or have you ever imagined something and you stopped and said, where in the world did I get that? Huh? You know, it's amazing to me how, how depraved my mind can be at times. And, and if you're looking at me like, really, Brother Dalton? Well, I know yours is the same way. Because by nature, we are wicked. Foolishness, the Bible says, is bound in the heart of a what? Of a child. My little grandson came up here. He was so cute, wasn't he? So just, he's like a little bitty, I don't know, I just, I, just oh, I love him. That little bitty boy has evil in him. Sometimes I look at my wife and say, where in the world does that come from? She says, oh, it has to come from his daddy. (laughs) Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Our hearts are wicked. And if, if, as we sit here tonight, we better understand it is but by the grace of God that anything good can proceed out of us. I've observed many believers over the year. And there have been times... When I've, I've, had, I've seen some develop an attitude. An attitude that seems to suggest that they have exalted themselves above the measure that they ought to exalt themselves. There's, people, there's, there's men and women around this country. There, there are some preachers who think that they are so righteous. Who think that they are so perfect and so holy that they look down their noses. At everyone that they speak to, everyone they see. But oh, I think of Paul who, as he preached, said that he was the chief of sinners. And listen, as I stand here tonight, please don't think for one moment that I'm trying to exalt myself as, as, as someone holy or righteous. I, I don't even understand why God allows me to do this. If you'd have known me before I was born again, you wouldn't have liked me. I didn't like me. No one liked me. And the Lord changes us and, 
and, and he, he, he cleans up and he, he does away with the depravity that is us. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul writes, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, if you have any faith tonight, it's not because you figured things out. It's because God has given you the faith to believe. It's because, it's because God has given you the faith to live for him. One of my favorite songs is Saved by Grace. Allow me to read the chorus of that song, the refrain of that song. It goes like this. I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. When I stood condemned to death, he took my place. Now I live and breathe in freedom, which eth, which eth breath of life I take. Loved and forgiven, back with the living. I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. Be careful tonight concerning your attitude. Be careful concerning your attitude toward lost people. Sometimes uh, I see young people walking down the street. And I don't know what's holding their pants up. Gravity's pulling real hard on them. And they're, about to, they're about to come down. I see some of them pierced, so full of holes, so full of, so full of tattoos and so full of of marking and disfiguring themselves. I see these young people and I've, I've, I've come across some people who look at them with a scowl and look at that young person and say, man, I wouldn't want to be that person. Well, you know, I certainly, I certainly wouldn't want to see any of our people develop those habits, but you know what? They don't know any better. But by the grace of God, we would be them. Amen? So check your attitude at the door. Whatever happened to weeping for those people, going home and praying, Father, help me to maybe help me or someone else to reach a young person like that and give them the joy. I told you this morning, those young people for 1,400 hours a year are sitting under secular humanism. They are being pounded and bombarded day after day after day after day with the secular humanist philosophies. They are being taught by their teachers that there is no absolute right and wrong. That, uh, that, that morality is circumstantial. They are being taught there is no God. That they came from a comet, a dirty snowball, or, or they, they, they are born from a sun. And it's up to you and I. To try to make a difference in their lives. Be careful concerning your attitude toward the lost. Be careful concerning your patience with new Christians. <laughs> I preached a message some years ago about spiritual traffic jams. I was driving to Santa Rosa one morning. I was in a traffic jam and I started thinking, what in the world is going on? Why is this traffic all snarled up? And I started thinking and I made a list of ideas and and. And I, I, I was amazed at how, how applicable they are to, to churches and, and how sometimes in churches we get all jammed up and, and, and our churches don't go and don't grow as they should because we're caught in these 
spiritual traffic jams. And one of those traffic jams is impatience. (laughs) How many of you have been saved 10 or more years? Raise your hand. How many of you have been saved five or more years? Raise your hand. How many of you have been saved less than five years? Raise your hand. Those of us who have been saved for many, many years, how many sermons have you heard? How many Sunday school lessons have you been through? How many mistakes have you made and had to learn to correct in your life? Well, you know, young Christians, they don't know everything you know. And we need to learn to be patient with them. Be patient. When, when, when a car wants to get on the, on, on the, into the traffic, what do people do? They all jam up within a quarter inch of each other. And this poor guy is just, he, I just want to get in. I, I just want to get in the flow. I want to go. And nobody wants to let him in. And sometimes we behave that way toward other Christians. Be patient. I lost my place. That could be here a while. Be patient with new Christians. Beware, my brethren, lest we forget what we were. In Psalm chapter 40, verses 2 and 3, the psalmist writes, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Oh, when I read this verse the other day, I, I just thought about the horrible horrible pit that God has, that God pulled me out of. And you know, some of you in this room are fortunate. Some of you didn't go through many fiery trials in your life before you found Christ. But some, some of us in this room, we were in a horrible pit, weren't we? Am I the only one here in a hor- that was in a horrible pit? Uh, broken lives, divorce, sickness, all, all sorts of misery and heartaches in our past. We were in this horrible, horrible pit, sinking in our depravity. And Christ came along and lifted us out. You see, if you're going to understand the liberty that God has given us tonight, we first have to understand the depth of depravity from which we came out of, from which we were called. The vile and abominable creature that we all were. Before God himself quickened us and made us alive. Now sin wears many disguises. But when it is exposed for what it is. It is seen as a black and horrible misshapen monster. The way that God himself views it may be learned from the various similitudes used by the Holy Spirit in scripture. To epitomize its loathsomeness. He has compared it with the most filthy and repulsive objects. In, his, in, in this world. Sin is likened to the scum of a rotting pot. In Ezekiel chapter 24. It's, it, is, it is likened to the blood and pollution of a newborn child. Before it is washed and clothed. In Ezekiel chapter 16. It is viewed as, as a dead and rotting corpse. In Romans chapter 7. It is... Likened to the stench and the fumes which issue from the mouth of an open sepulcher. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 13. It is pictured as the lusts of the devil. In John chapter 8 and verse 44. It is pictured as putrefying sores. 
in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. As a menstrual cloth, in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 22, and in Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 17. It is viewed as a canker or gangrene in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17. It is, it is likened to the dung of filthy creatures in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. It is likened to the vomit of a dog and the wallowing of a sow in the stinking mire in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. These descriptions illustrate the disgusting condition of the unrepentant heart of the natural man. And this was you. And this was me. Before that blessed day, when the Lord opened our eyes to the truth. So understand the price of our liberty. To understand it correctly, we must first understand the depth of the depravity of our own hearts before Christ redeemed us. Then, secondly, tonight, if we will understand, if we will understand the price of our liberty, secondly, we must understand the certainty of our condemnation. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, we read, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Didn't say it might die. Didn't say maybe it will die. It said it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now, is there any in this room who's never committed a sin? No, none of you. Then you're all you're all condemned to die, all of us, every one of us. Romans six twenty three tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Revelation chapter twenty, we read from verses eleven through fourteen, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face The earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Of all things, this one thing is certain. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. One thing is certain, and that is that man will die. And when we die, we face judgment. This is unavoidable. For all men. Revelations chapter 21 and verse 8. We read. But the fearful and unbelieving. And the abominable. And murderers. And whoremongers. And sorcerers. And idolaters. And all liars. Shall have their part in the lake. Which burneth with fire and brimstone. Which is the second death. (coughs) The condemnation of depraved man. Is absolutely 
certain. All men are guilty of sin, and all men are condemned. As condemned men, if we hope to have eternal life, we must understand that our only hope is that God will forgive us of our iniquities, that he will judge us to be free of sin. But how can this be? How can the truly guilty be pronounced, be pronounced not guilty? How can the condemned be absolved of his condemnation? <laughs> After all, if God is righteous, and he is, how can he possibly overlook our condemnation and remain a righteous God? Listen, if God were to overlook the penalty of sin for one man, the penalty of sin being eternal separation in the lake of fire, if God was to overlook the penalty of sin for one man, then he becomes unrighteous in his judgment of all other men. Every man ever born by the seed of man has sinned. And every soul that sins must die. (laughs) And the wages of our sin is death. And that death is eternal separation from God and torment in the lake of fire. This is a certainty. There is no possible escaping this certainty. Now we're getting close to the price of liberty. But first we must realize the depth of our depravity. You might say, man, Brother, brother Abshar, you're not doing much to lift our spirits tonight, are you? I'm not trying to lift your spirits. I'm trying to awaken your heart. I'm trying to cause you to understand Trying to cause you to really appreciate the great liberty that we have in Christ Jesus. First, we must realize the depth of our depravity. Secondly, we must realize the certainty of our condemnation. Why must we realize these things? Because only then can we truly appreciate, number three tonight, the remedy for our redemption. You'll never put the right appreciation into what Jesus did for you until you first see yourself as God saw you. You see, some some men just don't think they're that bad. I know this is true because I've I've dealt with men like that for the last 32 years in the ministry. Some people sit there and say, you know, I, I just I don't think I'm all that bad. I'm not that bad of a person. Really? Did you just hear what, what, what God's word said about you and me before we were saved? Before we were God's child? We were, we were as stink in his nostrils. We were, we were horrible in his sight. We, we, weren't, we weren't just some guy who, who had a few disadvantages and made a few mistakes. We were abominable in the sight of God. All of our works, the Bible says, were as filthy rags. And without being too graphic, in the the original language, that term filthy rags was illustrative of, of a menstrual cloth. That's pretty disgusting. 
And I would certainly never discuss this if we had little children in the room. But that's what we were to God. And we need to understand that because if we don't understand that, then we're never going to we're never going to think God did very much for us at all. We're just going to think, oh, well, you know, I I deserve to be saved. I should have been saved. God, God saved me, but I, I was worthy of it. I deserved it. No, no, you weren't. None of us were. Again, some of us, by man's standards, were worse than others. I, I would dare to say there was none of you in this room that were, was as, as vile as me. But you know, when, when God saved me, he did something wonderful. I, I've, never, I've, I've never been the same. I could, I, he, it, it's changed me eternally. When God, when God opened my eyes and showed me what I was in his sight, I, I've never, I have never been the same. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 tells us, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood <coughs> is no remission. There is no remission of sin without, without shedding the sacrificial blood of Christ. That's why Jesus needed to die on the cross, to shed his blood for the remission of our sins. There was no typified remission, however. Let me say this. There was no typified remission of sin without the shedding of blood. In other words, in the, in the, in the Aaronic priesthood. What did people have to bring to, Adam, to Aaron? They had to bring an offering. And Aaron had to do what with that offering? He had to shed the blood. And that blood had to be carried into the holiest of holies, and it had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. And that blood typified Christ's sacrifice. Now, the blood of that bull or the blood of that goat didn't remove any sins. It was a picture. It was, it, by my bringing that offering, it, it, showed, it showed my belief and trust and faith in Christ. And, and that was the picture of it. There, there could be no, no, not even a picture of of remission without blood. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 1 through 4. We read for the law. Having a shadow of good things to come. And not the very image of the things. Can never with those sacrifices. Which they offered year by year. Continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they uh, not have ceased to be offered. Because that the worshippers once purged. Should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. So <coughs> all of these, all of this, this blood shed in these, in the, in the Old Testament, in these sacrifices was, was all pointing toward and picturing the perfect sacrifice to be made by the Lamb of God, by Christ himself. And there can be not only no typified remission, but there can also be no realized remission of sin without the shedding of blood either. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And we see that Jesus' 
payment. His remission of sin was the perfect remission, the perfect payment, and it was made once, and it'll never be made again. If you remember just a few moments ago, I stated every man born by the seed of of man has sinned, and all sinners are condemned. So how do we remedy this problem? Well, the answer is, we cannot remedy this problem unless we can be made alive again, unless we can be reborn. And this second birth must come by the seed of one who is righteous, not by the seed of man, by the seed of the righteous. As I said this morning, this confused Nicodemus. In John chapter 3 and verse 4, Nicodemus says unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, of course he can't. But the remedy is the new birth. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we read, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You may say here, why are you wasting my time tonight? I already know all of this. Well, firstly, you can never waste time by preaching the gospel. But secondly, I preach this because so many believers live just as if they didn't know this. The price of our liberty is the crucifixion of Christ. It is God himself coming to this earth as a man. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He came to this earth in the form of a man suffering and enduring all the trials and temptations that we must face. Hebrews 4.15 states, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He came to this earth in the form of a man preaching and ministering to lost men. In Matthew 9.35 we see, And Jesus went all about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus stated he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. Jesus took upon himself and came to this earth the form of a man, suffering the persecution and the false accusations of men. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 59, we read, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus. To put him to death. He came submitting himself to the hatred and abuse of men. We read from Mark chapter 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And began to salute him. Hail king of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed. And did spit upon him. And bowing their knees. Worshipped him. Jesus suffered the hatred. He suffered abuse. He suffered mocking. 
He came to this earth in the form of a man, dying a cruel and horrific death. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 33, we read, and, they were come to, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Jesus died a horrible death. He died a death that you and I would, would never even, could, could not even dream of the, of the pain and the suffering and the agony and the horror that he endured. And he did this to satisfy the justice of his father. In John 19.30 we read, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. And he victoriously rose from the dead, just as he had promised he would. In Luke chapter 24, verses 4 through 6, we read, And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Now all of this that I've just described and talked about, this is the price of your liberty tonight. This was the price for my salvation. God himself came to this earth, took upon himself the form of a man, suffered and endured all the trials and temptations that I must face, preaching and, and laboring and ministering to lost men, giving himself completely to the service of others, suffering the persecution and suffering false accusations against himself, submitting himself to hatred, submitting himself to abuse, not opening his mouth. The Bible says he went before his shearers as a dumb lamb. And I don't mean a stupid one. I mean a mute lamb without speaking. He didn't do anything to defend himself. He didn't, he didn't, you know, all Jesus had to do was speak the word unto his father. And legions of angels would have been loosed upon the men that had him. As a matter of fact, as Jesus hung on the cross, the Pharisees walked by, the Bible says, wagging their heads, saying, Others he saved, but he can't save himself. And you know they were right. He couldn't save himself. He could, but he chose to save me. So he chose to stay there. And he chose to suffer everything I deserved, everything that should have been mine. He took upon himself. And he did that for my liberty. Oh yes, it's, it's vitally important that we remember these truths concerning the price of our liberty. For if we forget these things, or if we allow them to fade from our memories, then we will fail to adequately appreciate the price Jesus paid for our salvation. We will take for granted the depth of our depravity and begin to think, well, I wasn't, I really wasn't all that bad. We will forget the condemnation that we were under and begin to view our salvation as less than the miracle that it was. We will appease our remorse for 
the suffering we caused our Savior. Tonight, I am free. I'm, I've been given liberty. I'm free tonight from the bondage of sin. sin. Sin cannot enslave me. Sin no longer has control over me. I've been free from the bondage. Of, I, I've been set free from the sinful nature that one time controlled me. God has given me, he has sanctified me. He has, he has given me the enabling power to overcome temptation in my life. He's given me the ability to overcome that nature. I am free from the condemnation of sin. Though I deserve it, I will never suffer condemnation for my sins. I am free tonight. I'm free tonight from death. Oh, I will die. This body, this, this flesh, this tent, this tabernacle will die. My heart will stop. I will die. I pray and hope painlessly, but I will die. I'm free tonight from the grave. When I die, they may take this body and put it in a grave. That grave will not hold me. That grave will not keep me. One day the Lord will speak and the grave will be forced to let me free. To let me go. I'm free tonight. And if you, as you sit here, if you are a child of God, so are you. You're free. But this freedom came at a cost. My daddy used to watch these things on TV and they'd say, free. And he'd always say the same thing. Ha, free. Nothing is ever free. He'd always say, somebody has to pay for it. It costs somebody something. Nothing is ever totally free. And you know, I always remember that. Nothing's free. We, We go around and say, salvation is free. It's not. Do you understand that? It's free to you. But it wasn't free to Christ. He paid the ultimate price for you for your salvation. How are you thanking him? How are you thanking him? Are you are you totally committed to him in your life? Or as Jared said this morning, is, is he prominent in your life or is he just a part of your life? I think he's just, I think in most of our cases, he's just a part. He's just something we do on Sundays. The rest of the week, we watch any kind of vile TV program we want to watch. We read any kind of vile book we want to read. We look at any kind of, any kind of evil site on the internet we want to look at. We use language that isn't fit to be used. We live our entire life the way we want to live it. And you know, the sad reality is you can do that. Remember we read in the beginning, Paul said in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Use not this liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Its freedom came at a cost. Tonight, though I am free, I choose to make myself the servant of Christ. 
I choose to, if you will allow me to say this, I choose to remain a slave to Jesus. I want to read one more passage of scripture and then we'll be done. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. And we'll begin reading at verse number one. Verse number one, chapter 21. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve. And in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married... Then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. Now look at verse 5. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judge. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the door post. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. I heard a preacher once preach a message. Jesus had a pierced ear. (laughs) Well, Jesus is a master. He doesn't pierce his own ear. But Jesus did choose to serve his father. Well, I don't have a pierced ear, literally. But tonight I do have a pierced ear, spiritually. You see, I choose to remain a bondservant. I choose to remain a slave. Even though I've been set free, even though Jesus has made me free, I choose to serve him. Well, tonight, will you take your freedom? Will you take your liberty? Will will you take these things that, that Christ has purchased for you and just go your way and do your own thing? You can, by the way. You can. You can do that. You can live out the remainder of your life doing whatever you want to do. You're not bound by the law of Moses. You can, you're free from all these things. You, you can take your liberty and you can, you can go. Or you can say, I love my master. I will serve him forever. The choice is yours tonight. I just wanted tonight, I wanted you to see clearly and understand the price of our liberty. If you go to, if you go to the average Christian and say, do you know what your liberty costs? Oh yeah, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. But do you understand why he had to do that? Because you're depraved and because you were filthy in God's sight and you were condemned and that was certain. And there is absolutely no other way to free you from your condemnation and to sanctify you 
to be righteous and holy before God. There was no other way to do it other than Jesus becoming a man and suffering and being beaten and being hated and being persecuted and dying and being buried and rising again. Let me ask you a question. Do you think your liberty is really so simple? It was free for you. It's free for me. It wasn't free for Jesus. Our liberty came at a great cost. And I think think it's time that we as God's children stop hiding behind rose-colored glasses And start living our lives. Do you hear me? It's time that we start living our lives. And as blind as I am, I'm trying to look in the eye of every one of you. It's time we start living our lives. As if we really appreciate Christ. And as if we really love him. And really, really understand what our liberty cost him. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you tonight and we deserve nothing. We deserve, Lord, judgment. We deserve to be punished. We deserve suffering. We deserve so many things that you have kept from us because of your love. Because of your grace and because of your mercy. And Father, it grieves me in my heart when I see Christian people living their lives as though they owed you nothing. Living their lives as though you didn't do anything special for them. Oh, Father, what a, what a, what a price you paid for us. And, and we don't deserve it. But Lord, I pray tonight that each of us would say, I love My master, I do not want to be set free. I love my master. I will serve him forever. Help us, Lord, to love you. Help us to understand the cost of our liberty. And and then, Father, for all those dear, precious little children on the other side of the building, they they need to know all about you and they need to they need to be taught to love you. And, and it's, the, it's the responsibility of the daddy sitting on this side of the building. It's the, it's the responsibility of the fathers and the mothers to make sure that the children understand the great price you paid for their liberty. Thank you for this time we've had together. I pray that you, your spirit would work in our hearts, bless the word that was preached, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org